Well, good morning, church. I want to tell you that Pastor Landon and I are deeply moved in the spirit this morning regarding today's word. Man, we love the privilege of standing up here in front of you guys and delivering the word of God. Hasn't it been awesome the last few weeks talking about the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit? Who's been operating in the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit or at least hungering for them? Who's desired to prophesy? Who's desired to see healing? These signs accompany those who believe, according to the ESV. Who's ready to live a life supernaturally for the Lord? Amen. We're going to talk about walking that out this morning. Are you all ready? The word that we have for you this morning is nothing new. Actually, it's quite necessary in every Christian life. But church, do I need to grow in this topic that we're going to be discussing this morning? Y'all ready for this word? The title of this morning's sermon is going to be called, Calling Forth the Evangelist. Somebody say evangelism. Evangelism. At some point in your life, I promise you, you have evangelized. Because Christians can't help but evangelize the truth in which they have received. But... This morning, we're going to raise every single one up with the expectation that we must live a life of evangelism. Amen? Amen. Who would consider themselves to be uh, an evangelist? Amen. We got a few of them. Some people are like, "Mm, because he said it, I am one. The truth is, is more people do not consider themselves to be evangelists than consider themselves to be evangelists, right? Don't you have these feelings within you? You're like, man, how am I supposed to evangelize the truth? Um, Maybe there's a little fear mixed in there. Maybe it's like, how am I going to deliver this word to this person? Tell me somebody's had those feelings before, because I have. We're saying, Lord, you called us to be the light, but how the heck am I supposed to do it? I don't know how to speak. We're going to get to that later. Matthew 9, verse 35 says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. Say all. Jesus was very active in his ministry. He was moving around. And what is he doing in these villages? It says teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news. Somebody say good news. news. Of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Does this look like a lot of movement in Jesus' life? Jesus' walk? Yes. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Somebody say compassion. (laughs) Because they were harassed. And helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into his harvest field. You want to know something funny? Matthew 9 has been a scripture that I've encouraged Pastor Landon with a lot. You know why? Because Pastor Landon is an amazing pastor. Amen? He's a good shepherd. And he leads with compassion for the sheep. Jesus did the same thing. Landon does the same thing because God has raised him up to be an amazing pastor. But this doesn't exclude pastors from evangelism. Jesus was very evangelistic in his ministry. Amen? He's also called the good shepherd. He's also responsible for raising up the sheep. But what did he say? I have come for the lost sheep of Israel. He's always in a place searching for the lost. And this has to be a priority of ours as well. And we're going to get into the reasons of why. Okay, right here off the bat, was Jesus evangelistic in nature? Yes. Yes. Was Jesus' life pastoral? Of course, he's the great shepherd. Was Jesus' life full of supernatural works? Yes, we see healings, signs, and wonders following his ministry. Did Jesus teach the word? Of course. He embodied embodied every single one of these things. He was pastoral. He was evangelistic. And he taught the word of God. The point here this morning is we have no excuse but to exemplify every work that Jesus did. And I'm going to tell you right now, he was an evangelist. Therefore, we are called to be evangelists as well. Amen? Amen. In Matthew 9, you see Jesus doing the work. But who was it that was by his side 
And who was it who carried on his work? Disciples. Every disciple of Christ must emulate his teacher. Amen? Amen. Jesus was teacher. He was a teacher, but he was a, a teacher by function in what he did. Jesus pastored his sheep. Jesus taught many peoples. And Jesus was an evangelist who sought out the lost. But these actions must not be done without heart, which burns with compassion. Didn't you read that he had compassion on those that stood in front of him? Jesus actually felt the message in which he preached. It's not just the one-stop shop gospel message that we'd like to throw out at people. Hey, man, did you hear the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ? Is that news good, though? It is. But what if the message lacks compassion? Is it good to the one that's in front of you? Hey, man, Jesus saved your life. Go to heaven or hell. Choose. Did you think that sounded, do you think Jesus sounded like that when he talked about his father's kingdom? No. He had excitement. He had joy. He was ready to save the lost. How much more do we have to ask Holy Spirit, Lord, burn in my heart the way that Jesus burned for the lost? It's so important and so important because what we can become is heartless in the matter of, of seeing those saved. You know what happens when you lose a heart for the lost? Is every service that you ever endure just becomes about maintenancing your salvation. You come in here, oh, I need to work on my joy. I need to work on my peace. I need to work on my patience. That stuff gets rotten after a while. That stuff gets old after a while. What was the point of our salvation? To go on to see others sanctified, redeemed by the Father. Amen? These actions must be done with compassion. Who in this room was lost in need of a Savior? Amen. Me. There are a multitude of those outside of this room like you. A sheep who is without a shepherd until you walk through the door who is the Christ and found safety in his pasture. One thing we must recognize is the kingdom of God is huge. And it is expanding. But the question is, will you take part and expanding his work. Unfortunately, he loves us. He has a plan for us. We are precious in his sight, but also we are dispensable. Amen? That's a humble word. We are dispensable. If we do not obey, if we do not get in line, guess what? His kingdom's gonna keep moving. But, church, how much do I want to be a part of this? And I want all of you to be a part of this and expanding his kingdom. How exciting is this? Someone say this morning with me, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Saints, I have to be honest with you this morning. When Pastor Devin and I were praying about the word, when the Lord gave us what to preach on, I was like, oh, shoot, are you serious? Come on, man. It's not my uh, natural flow. But I'll take a minute to be raw with you, as Pastor Devin already introduced, and give you insight into a conversation we were having in the car on the way to dinner the other night before we prepped our message. And, uh, and, I don't, and he said it himself, I don't think it's a secret that I'm very pastoral at heart. I love you guys a lot. And where that comes from from me is, I believe, a heart the Lord's given me for you guys. But what that can also do... If I let it, not by the Lord's doing, but my own, is set up blinders on me to where I can't see those who need what you have or those who need what I have. If we don't evangelize and we don't share the gospel, this does not mean going around in the town square and handing out your church business cards. This means maybe the waitress at your table serving you dinner needs something that you have, and you might never not know her name. You might not ever see her again in your life. She might not ever graze these doors. But something in you ignited something in her that sparked a change that would set her on a trajectory to succeed in the kingdom the rest of her life. We don't know those things if we're so focused on ourselves or so focused on each other here. That's important, but we've been real. We spent five years building this up to build you up and this body up. So that we can do what we do. So that we can live a lifestyle of evangelism. 
So as I've been praying this weekend, I've realized that I need to allow the Lord to soften my heart for those outside this room so that our family can grow. And even if this number of people doesn't grow, the kingdom of God grows. So in Matthew 9, we see Jesus telling his disciples to pray in the workers. Well, if Jesus is telling his disciples to pray in the workers, then could that not spark something in you to be like, well, I guess someone else will do it then. Yeah. I mean, Matthew 9, Jesus literally says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. What you might miss in that is that his disciples were with him. And not only was he telling them to pray in more like him, but he was showing them how to do it. It didn't have to be said that they were expected to do what they saw Jesus doing. That's right. yeah. Isaiah 6.8 says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Listen, it seems to me that if I just took Matthew 9 in context, just as it said it, and didn't know anything about Jesus himself, the man or the person, then I would say, well, it's just my job to pray that the people would have the faith to go out. It's my job to pray that all you guys would go evangelize on Sundays and maybe we see a new face on Sunday night. But that's not at all what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is saying, hey, Lord, I want to be the one. I want to be the one to go out and rescue the broken, and lay my hands on the sick and watch them healed, to restore the brokenhearted. With Isaiah 6 in mind, we cannot assume that Jesus meant that someone else was supposed to do this work. That's right. Pastor Devin said it. He was setting an example for those by his side to emulate. Jesus has never asked us to do something that he's never once done before. He is the great disciple maker. So this morning, saints... We're here to call forth the evangelist in you. Amen. We're here to call forth the evangelist in ourselves. Amen. If we want to fulfill the call on our lives, we must first realize that it includes evangelism. Yeah. A lifestyle of evangelism at that. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. He says, as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Come on. Fulfill your ministry. So the fulfillment of our calling in life comes when we have actually fulfilled everything that that call calls for. You can't fulfill something if you don't fulfill every part of it. I don't know about you, but when I think of Timothy, I do not think of an evangelist. I think of a pastor of a church that he dearly loves. I think of a brother to his saints. I think of a son to his spiritual father walking in apostolic footsteps. Quite honestly, the last thing I think of is of him as an evangelist. Mm. But do you think maybe that Paul was reminding his true son in the faith, hey, you're called. You're running this thing that you have. You're leading the people. Do not forget do the work of an evangelist in order to fulfill your entire call. Maybe Paul was reminding Timothy to fulfill all of his calling, not just a portion of it, just like the Lord is reminding us today. Say, I'm an evangelist. I'm an evangelist. Look, the life of Timothy was absolutely one of evangelism. You know why? Because Paul, he spent his entire life ministering to Jews and Gentiles alike. Paul spent his entire life invested on seeing souls saved for Christ. Paul's conversion was one that caused him to go and see conversions in his life. Our life must replicate the same exact thing. Somebody say, I'm an evangelist. Look at the life of Isaiah who carried an attitude of here I am, send me. That's what we just read, by the way. Isaiah saying, here I am, Lord, send me. How many more people do we need to respond to the message of the gospel like this? Really? Christ has saved me? 
Let's go. Isaiah 61 verse 1 goes on to say, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Is there a lot of poor people around here? Is there a lot of people in need? Man, we live in a generation right now, especially in America, where people are beginning to be humbled. This is a time for the message of the gospel. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim, somebody say proclaim. Proclaim. The year of the Lord's favor. Is that a verbal proclamation? Yes. Is that in our lives? Yes. Is Isaiah just sitting in his prayer closet all the time and then casting prophetic words just from the closet but staying in there? No. He's proclaiming. Somebody say proclaim. 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 And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them beautiful headdresses instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Come on, we want to watch salvation shoot up in those who are obedient to the word of the gospel. And guess what? We need the pastors to raise up oaks of righteousness in the church. But who's going to go plant the seed? Who's going to bring them back to the soil? Who's going to plant them in the pastures so that they become everything God has intended them to be? Guys, it starts with evangelism. It starts with evangelism. We must all evangelize just as Jesus did, just as Isaiah brought forth the good news. We read all the prophets. Some are worse than others in terms of the words that they have to deliver. We're reading, about to read Jeremiah. That's pretty rough, but it's an interesting response. But imagine this real quick. You have good news. Go share it. Imagine if God gave you bad news. Would you share it? The prophets had to. Whenever they were speaking against Israel and their wickedness, they didn't shy back. They had to deliver bad news. We get to deliver good news. That you can turn from your wickedness. And though, though it was bad news at the time for Israel, it was for the purpose of their restoration. Amen. You know that any word that's got given from God is always good news. But what I'm meaning here is, have you ever had God give you a word and you know it's a hard word for that brother or sister? It's kind of hard to give in the moment. How much more to a stranger? But how obedient must we be to give the word, to evangelize? We have to. We have to. Look at verse 4 in Isaiah 61. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations they shall repair the ruined cities the devastations of many generations come on do you want to be responsible for seeing many generations saved did you know it starts with one man if you save one man you can save an entire generation of people if you turn the leader of the household he'll turn around and replicate it in his children that's the way that the um in hebrew thought that they've always seen it If you can save one man's life, you can save a whole generation. It's one life, one family, one nation, as our brothers at LCM say. From what we just read, does it appear that Isaiah had a lack of purpose? No. His life's full of purpose. Isn't that beautiful? Any given day, whether you got a job, whether you're sick, whether things are going good, whether they're not, Isaiah was a man who woke up with purpose each day and knew his target. And that included evangelism. And I feel like maybe those in this room who feel like they have a lack of momentum, it's because they forgot that they were actually supposed to be utilized in the kingdom. How many millions of people are in the U.S.? I'm, sh- I'm not even going to try to guess. Millions. I wish I had that stat. I don't. I know Denton's about, I know Denton's about 150,000. That's more than enough. Let me tell you, when you start making real disciples, there's reason why Jesus only had 12. Because they're going to take up all of your time. 
But imagine if your goal was 12. It would take you an entire lifetime to do it. We have to change our perspective. It's not, hey, we come to church. What do the pastors think the Holy Spirit's doing? No, who are you bring in the church to get fed, redeemed, sanctified in the Spirit today? We have to become these evangelistic people, amen? amen? He didn't lack purpose. He did not lack drive. He did not lack direction. His life was devoted to bringing good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and break off the bars of imprisonment to those who are captive to darkness. Somebody needs you to give them the key to get out of jail. Amen. You have the key. You have the key, saints. And you know what is pretty cool? Isaiah, in the process, is multiplying himself so that they would rebuild up the ancient ruins. Yeah. They shall raise up uh, dev uh, of devastations, and they shall repair ruined cities. Listen, we're all going to do the work, amen? amen? Nobody's excluded. Nobody's more of an evangelist than the other. Though you may be gifted in evangelizing, we're all responsible for the work. Somebody say all. all. Isaiah carried an attitude of faith and assurance in the one who asks, whom shall I sin? When God speaks, whom shall I sin? We must have the attitude where there's no delay that says, I'll do it. I'll do it if you want me to, because Lord, I know the fire, I know the flame that you've placed in my heart, and I will do it. Amen. What is it then that drags us away, drags our feet in being the evangelists this world needs? Well, I know number one, it's fear. Somebody say fear. fear. Does everybody have a little bit of fe more fear in their hearts than they would want well, praise God, perfect love casts out all fear. But breaking away from fear takes boldly obedient steps away from it. You will never be set free from the thing you're afraid of until you confront it. We're going to read Jeremiah 1 verse 4. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. He's speaking to Jeremiah here. He's literally appointing them as a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, this is Jeremiah. Behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send, you shall go. Amen. And whatever I command to you, you shall speak. Did you know that sometimes we have to speak to our fear and say, you shall speak. Well, the Lord is addressing Jeremiah here. He says, you shall speak. You shall go. Verse 8, do not be afraid of them. Listen, there's some people that are intimidating. He's going before kings, rulers, nations. You know, he is responsible for carrying out the word. And he's commanding to his fear, and the Lord commanding to his fear, you shall go. You shall speak. Amen. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put on his hand, touch. Uh, put on his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I put my words in your mouth. And that's the key. You know, so many times I've experienced that I don't receive a word. A word doesn't fill my mouth until I actually move towards the person that the word was intended for. You know why? Because it takes faith. He's patient and he knows us and he doesn't give us a lot of time to think about much. I'm sure y'all have experienced it. Do you also, you also realize it's the same way with prophecy in a corporate setting? That you feel like your heart's beating so fast and you're starting to sweat. And you're like, oh man, I've got the word. I've got the word to give. And you're like, so when should I speak it? 
what should I say exactly? What tone of voice should I say right. it in? Which direction should I look? Should I look at anybody or look down at the floor or look up, close my eyes? <laughs> Why don't you just speak it? If you just speak it, the Lord will fill your mouth. But That's if you right. don't open your mouth, the Lord can't fill what's not open to him. Yeah, in light and evangelism, you ever been walking in a city and you're like, that per the Lord's like, that person. <laughs> and you're like, oh. You're like, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to say. Listen, it is not abnormal when called to a heavenly task for our fleshly nature to rise up within us. It's a heavenly task. We are human beings, but guess what? We have a supernatural God who dwells in us. Amen. But that flesh is rising up. I'm afraid, Lord. I, wanna, I just want to represent you rightly. I don't want to get it wrong. You're thinking too much. Yeah. Jeremiah, a prophet of the Lord, one who was knitted by God in his mother's womb, too had fear there within his heart. All of them did. Remember, Paul, I, I deliver this message to you in fear and trembling. It's like, when does this ever leave? I don't think it ever will because we have to lean into our Father's arms every single time we operate in Him. It keeps us humble. Who has ever had these thoughts towards evangelism? Again, it's I'm, I'm afraid. I don't know. That's for that person. Oh, man. Everybody. My work is at my house. You know, all these excuses is like, I, my home is my sanctuary. I preach to the plants. The Lord says, preach to all creation. I'm going to get my trees saved. Preaching to trees. That's not a bad exercise, by the way. It's, it's definitely biblical. It's good practice. But maybe God's going to send you out that house by making the trees speak back to you. You need to go to the square. Our thoughts towards evangelism can look like, I do not know how to speak, Lord. Or I'm too young in my faith for this God. Sorry, but these were Jeremiah's excuses. And they were inexcusable. Yeah. Who's ever read the book of Jeremiah through? Who can ever recall some of the things spoken in it? Oh, yeah. oh we're not going to read it. It has a lot to do with, you wicked nation. You rebelled against me. God has shown his goodness to you and you have not received it. Man, what a tough word. This man was not giving Jesus loves you brother words. Not at all. He prophesied against the nation of Israel for their wickedness and unfaithfulness towards God. And we freeze at the idea of testifying to the beautiful works of Jesus in our lives. It's like, uh, a lot of you guys do it, and hey. I, uh, I'm just going to move forward. It's, yeah, it's good. It's good. These, wor these excuses are inexcusable, Amen. Church, what I must tell you today is that fear can no longer be what holds us back from being the light God has called us to be. I believe many of you guys, there have been attempts of evangelism. Uh, I think y'all are okay with the idea of evangelizing. What I'm saying today is evangelism has to take a priority in our lives. You have to prioritize evangelism or else it's just not going to get done. Amen. We must prioritize evangelism because we're called to be the light of the world. Fear can hold us back no longer. The first thing we must break away from in order to be a clear trumpet of God is fear. There's no fear mixed in it. It's only faith. Faith only comes from walking forward and doing something that you absolutely do not know how to do yet. And then eventually you get good at it. And eventually, you move to a heart posture that we're going to see in Jeremiah 20 later on. Moving forward in faith looks like real, tangible action. It's not, I believed in my heart, and I feel unafraid now. 
but I'm not going to do it. No. It is walking away from what you naturally feel and tapping into what the spirit man has called you to do. Amen? It's funny how we can joke about our lack of bravery to evangelize, and we can poke fun at it because we know it's true in all of us. We know it's there, so we're not making fun of any one person. It's in every single one of us in the room. But do you guys remember the phrase, you joke about what you're serious about? We can poke fun at us being fearful all day long. But does it actually ever solve the problem? If we, all we do is laugh about our fear, then really it's insecurities. Because do you know what a byproduct of fear is? It's the next thing that we have to avoid. It's self-preservation. A byproduct of fear is self-preservation, which leads to insecurities, or rather stems from insecurities, which stems from fear. Because listen, many of us in this room, I would not call remnant, I would not label remnant church as a self-preserving people. Actually, I think we are quite the opposite. I think many of us have laid our lives down in such a way to model the call of Jesus in our lives that we've lost family members. We've lost best friends that we grew up with our whole life that we might not ever talk to again. I don't think we have a problem in general with self-preservation. I do think we still have a problem with how people view us, though. The ones we've lost are the ones that happen to be closest to us, right? So what's keeping us from taking the risk of a stranger maybe calling us a bad word? If we've lost some of our closest friends over our faith, or we've lost some family members, or whatever it is for you, there's many stories in this room. What's keeping you from your waitress getting a little frustrated that you tried to share Jesus with her? You might not ever see her again. You really worried that you're going to be labeled as the crazy dude that ate a cowboy chicken the other night? Because when everyone's just trying to enjoy their dinner, you start talking about Jesus? Listen, I, I, I told myself I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it. And it's fitting I have my parents here. There's a song that I grew up with. That I grew up with. I'm not going to sing it for you. No, I'm not going to sing it for you. But it's a song that I've always held dear to myself. And in uh, the chorus... Some of the chorus, the chorus starts with, what will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? Y'all can sing it. What will people no, don't think? Actually, don't actually. Okay. Don't actually. We're we'll it. be here all day. <laughs> what will people do when they find that it's true? Listen, my family was called many things growing up. We were Pentecostals. Most of our friends were Baptists. I'm not trying to poke fun. I'm really not. We were called a lot of things, maybe one of them being, we were labeled as the people that swung from swang, that swung from chandeliers from time to time, if any of you know what those are. Um, that sounds like a fun church. It, it didn't at the time, but it does now. Listen, but when did the idea, when I sat, when I thought, when I sat and thought about the lyrics of this song, what? What, where do we get the idea that we should be fearful of telling people about Jesus? Is it not a badge of honor to suffer for the sake of Christ? Do we not see all of his apostles and disciples and men of God in the word? Staturely men, ones who are strong and valiant, constantly get persecuted for their faith consistently get rebuked and spit on and stoned to death because of their faith? Is it not a badge of honor to have a public worship event on the city square and be mocked to no end over it? Listen, I got, again, really curious, and I looked up on Google what the word Jesus freak meant. I didn't know Oxford Dictionary defined the word Jesus freak, but it did. And if you pulled your phone out right now, which you're not going to do, and you typed in your Google, 
What is a Jesus freak? The Oxford Dictionary will give you this response. A fervent evangelical Christian. A fervent evangelical Christian. Is that not an honor to carry a name like that? We talk about fire, and we talk about evangelism, and we talk about saving the lost. This is what that word defines. Fire and evangelism. The next line finishes up that chorus saying, I don't really care if they label me a Jesus freak, for there's no disguising the truth. See, I've grown up my whole life singing that song and praising the men who sang it, every single one of them. But I'm wrestling with the fact today that there's still a sense of self-preservation in my heart that must die. Because I'm singing songs and I'm worshiping the Lord in such a way that to you might display, man, that dude is shameless. But what the Lord's showing me is, no, you're not. There's still some cowardly insecurity left in you. There's still some things in you that really do care about what the person outside the door tells you. Listen, when we have too much of our own reputation left in ourselves, it needs to be burned away. We must have an attitude that cries, well, I don't care what they think because I care what my God thinks. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 1. He says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Not only did you have to wrestle with the affliction within yourself the moment you heard about the word and came to Christ. Because we all had to wrestle with that. But now you have to wrestle with the affliction others bring upon you because of your faithful carry out. And you get to do it with the joy of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Verse 7 says, so that, you become an exa- so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. By way of you having the Holy Spirit in the midst of the affliction received by walking with the Lord and testifying to his marvelous deeds, not your own, you are an example to your brothers. This is how you encourage one another to be strengthened and emboldened and to keep moving forward and shining his light. Verse 8 says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything to you. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Church, Thessalonica was not filled with a congregation concerned with their reputation or their identity in the sight of men. Rather, they were a body of believers so rooted in their sonship, so rooted in the security they find within their loving father, that they couldn't help but share it with those who didn't quite have that. If you remember a year or two ago now, when Pastor Michael was walking us through our core values of, as Remnant Church, he preached a message called A Lifestyle of, of Evangelism. I was going back and I was seeing that message and he preached out of Luke 15. I, would, I, I personally wouldn't have thought of Luke 15 in evangelism. But he was using Luke 15 to make the point the Father has sons and daughters that are outside this room. They just don't know yet that they're sons and daughters, much like you did not know yet. You lost your life when you gave it to Christ. And yes, affliction and persecution is part of the call. But it is not to be held up by fear or self-preservation because now you get to live for him. And when you live for him, you get to live with him. Let me tell you, this is how you get to be the light that you were always meant to be. Romans 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, 
As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Church, a lifestyle of evangelism is one that is marked by an unashamed people whose message might not be accepted by everyone you encounter. In fact, it won't be. It's promised. But nonetheless, it's a people who are full of faith and refuse to shrink back out of fear or self-preservation. Because if you walk into a restaurant with the mindset that, man, I bet you 99% of the people here wouldn't accept what I had to say. More than likely, that's going to keep you from just trying to find the one. Because what's going to happen is if you go in with that mindset, then person after person after person that you talk to, refusing you time and time and time again, is going to discourage you so much so to the point that you don't want to completely lose your reputation just a little bit. Just enough to say, to lay your head down at night and say, well, I tried today. I really did. I tried today. But the lifestyle of evangelism is marked by an unashamed people who go after the one if that's all that's available. Listen, we're going to move out of what not to do because we find it more important that we give you the instruction on what to do. Because that's how we were uplifted and encouraged while writing this sermon. Amen. Somebody say evangelism. evangelism. Is anybody ready to start evangelizing more? We must move away from fear and self-preservation. And guess what? We are moving towards all the works that God has for us. Amen. We're going to spend just a moment talking about this. If we won't move, he won't move. I'm going to say that again. If we won't move, he won't move. I'm going to share a quote with you that sparked this message in my heart this week. I was listening to... Um, Dr. Michael Brown, and he had a podcast talking about revival. Um, in particular, he was heart was stirred over the things that had happened throughout the course of his life as he was at the Brownsville Revival, which was in Pen- Pensacola, Florida, I believe. Um, and he shared this quote. This is a quote from Oswald J. Smith. And it says, The church that does not evangelize will fossilize. When I heard that, I was like, wow. I'll say it again. The church that does not evangelize will fossilize. Church, let me tell you what this looks like. If we don't receive fresh souls, this church, Remnant Church, will become nothing but a a monument in the future. When we do not evangelize, we fossilize and we just become like another interesting artifact that people look at in the museum. Look what the Lord did. Look what the Lord did with these people. But it fossilized. Why? Because we stopped caring about the lost. We started caring more about ourselves than we did about the lost. The church has to evangelize so that it won't fossilize. If we're not evangelizing, eventually we'll just become another um, interesting fact to people. Church, this quote has been ringing through my ears this last week. I know it is not your desire that this place become another monument or another. Remember what the Lord did in this place. We preach weeks of a supernatural life, but why would he grant his holy fire on a people who will not burn for a dying world? We walk in here every week, some, some of you, not all of you, but some of you walk in and you're saying, Lord, why am I not burning with holy fire? It's because you didn't do anything with the fire that he lit in you the week before. Why does he burn holy fire within our hearts? Because we're called to be the lamp, the light in a dying world. If we're flickering, we're not being utilized and used in the function that God has called us into. We're fossilizing. Revival comes with a purpose to awake his church to yearn for the lost to repent of wicked ways and be the hands and the feet of Christ. Revival is a buzzword in Christianity. It's used a lot. Revive us, revive us, revive us. Well, revival denotes that something is wrong with you. Revival only comes whenever something's wrong, right? And the reason we don't see revival is one of two things. He's already lit your lamp, 
one, or two, you believe that your lamp is burning, but truly it isn't. Revival comes up to those who are hungry. He is faithful to light their lamps. He is faithful to see people walk in repentance and brokenness. But repentance is an action that takes you walking out of the sin that you once were in and moving forward towards the things that God has intended to you. Church, I don't want to repent for the same things over and over again and never do anything about it. That's fossizing. Evangelism pulls us out of that. It causes us to be the literal hands and feet of Jesus. It's not just in love with a man. It's in love with the plan by doing the actions of Jesus. If we don't move soon, he won't move anymore. Have you ever had dry spells? Lord, why aren't you moving? 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 And he simply says this to you, because you have not moved. It's the fact. God can't work in our rebellion. And our rebellion does one thing, even if it feels like movement. One big circle. And that circle is being um, drawn around yourself, and you paint yourself in a corner and the rebellion to the word of God. I mean, we've, we've, we've read Jonah, right? I think I even mentioned it last week or last time I was up here. No, we must move forward away from fear, away from self-preservation. Because when we move, we break out. And the spirit begins to break out. Amen. Amen. Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. Somebody say light. Light. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Plain fact. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Somebody say works. Works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Listen, by design, a lamp was used to serve as light and darkness. Isn't that clear? At nighttime, when those who did not have electricity, they lit lamps so that they could see. This goes back into the parable we talked to you guys about a few weeks ago. The virgins light their lamps. The uh, bridegroom can see them, but they can't see him. Okay. We are the light of the world. But there's a basket over there. We might have to put the basket over. No, you know what happens? Has anybody taken a candle and put the lid on it? What happens to it? It goes out. Almost immediately. Almost immediately. Anytime in our response, we hide in fear or in self-preservation, I can, I can be, sure, be sure that in your life, if you hide under the basket, you're going to be a flickering flame at best or your fire is going to be completely snuffed out. What was the fire for, for? Burning for him. Burning for evangelism. Burning for his people. Well, we've gotten so used to be flickering at best or being completely burnt out. Why are people burned out? Because they stop living for others. Church, your fire was meant to be seen to a dying world. It's getting colder outside as the times are drawing close. And it is you who carries the fire of the Spirit. But if we hid under the bowl of fear and self-preservation in another day, we risk our fire being snuffed out like a flame under a bowl. We are to be set on a hill, amen? amen, so that the whole city can see the light, not in hiding, but beaming with the glory of God. This is the attitude. This is the function. This is the action. Some will hate that light, by the way. You should have that expectation. Jesus said it. Don't be disappointed. This is another thing. Prophets like Elijah got discouraged whenever people didn't receive the message. But they kept moving forward. They kept moving forward. And we have to be those who are keep moving forward. Because to some, 
This message is the stench of death and other, it's the aroma of life. Our expectations must be clear. There's a remnant longing for what you have. We are set to be on a hill. Today, church, we are calling forth his evangelists. Amen. Amen. Who's ready for some fresh souls? Say fresh souls. Listen, we're going to start to turn this message, and as we do, I want to make one thing clear. If you're sitting in this room thinking this message is not for me because I'm too busy to evangelize, well, then you missed the last 45 minutes we've been talking, and you've been choosing not to listen. If you're sitting here thinking, well, I already evangelize. I don't, I, how can I do more? Like, I already go out on the square every week. I'm not talking about evangelism on the square. I'm also not talking about, well, I'll wait on that. Romans 10, because I want to actually get to where we're going. Romans 10, 10 through 15 says, for with one heart, or sorry, with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God, he's granting salvation to everyone who might ask for it, Jew or Gentile. Oh wait, what about those who don't know they need to ask for it? Or maybe they're looking for a solution to their depraved life, but don't know how or where to find it. Man, it's a good thing Paul didn't stop writing there because he knew you might think of those questions before you did. The very next verse says, well, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Wow. Oh, man, who will go? Who will go? Send me, Lord. Send me. Someone has to do it. And rather than wait on the one sitting next to you, why don't you be the one to do it? Come on. Somewhere along the way, we've accepted the lie that evangelism is a big outreach during Easter. That evangelism is about handing out your church business cards. That evangelism is throwing a party for the lost kids in the neighborhood to come to church when, well, they can go to Chuck E. Cheese and have just as much fun. Jesus isn't there, but you're telling me he's where you're at? If they're coming to have fun and maybe you hope that they encounter Jesus along the way, are you actually giving them an invitation into the kingdom or just a fun event? Listen, evangelism is bringing the lost sons home. Bringing the lost sons home might look like play dates for you moms with some ladies you're ministering to. It might look like who you run into in the grocery store. It might look like watching someone get set free of demonic spirits on the square this afternoon here in a few hours. It could look like many things. My point is don't put God in the box. The church for too long has put God in a box because we're too selfish to lose our reputation. Listen, this church is not the ones that hand out business cards. Because the church resides inside of you. You are the answer. You have the kingdom inside of you. The life that so many people are tempted that see in their church to bring people back to their church, they've had it in them all along. They've just never been told that. How will they preach if they are not told or sent? Today, take this as a commissioning for you. Go preach. Go evangelize. You go be the solution. And don't only make it a Sunday afternoon thing. Listen, we, how will they hear if no one preaches about it? How will you know to go if we don't tell you to? And if you need a direction, this is it. Go be the hands and feet of Jesus. Because this message is for me as much as it is for you. 
This message is for the lost person as much as it is for the lost Christian. This message of the kingdom is for everybody. And if everybody needs to hear it, then everyone who has it better be given it. Because you're called to give what you've been freely given. It's easier said than done. Listen, we're calling forth all the evangelists in this room this morning. Matthew 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of people or fishers of men. Church, have you ever realized that all of Jesus' disciples were called fishers of men. Are you Jesus' disciple? Then you need to start fishing for men. That is the call of all disciples. We are fishers of men. This is who Jesus made every single one of us to be. You may have not caught many, but if you cast your nets, eventually you will haul many into the kingdom. He found his disciples in discouragement. You remember this story? And he says, cast your nets to the other side. And in obedience and the faith of the word of the Lord, they hauled in more than they could handle. Could you imagine if we were just obedient the first time God says, cast your nets? You would have more than you could handle. But there are many in this room today who are fearful of even casting the first net. Don't walk in fear anymore. Do you notice here that Jesus told these men that he would make them fishers of men? God's making something beautiful out of all of us. And even when you don't feel like it, he's making you fishers of men. Today, many of you may say to yourself, evangelism is not my strong suit. And that may be true. It may not be your strong suit. But isn't isn't it great that Jesus will help you become strong in what you feel inadequate in? It's okay to recognize that it may not be your strong suit, but it's not okay to stay there. A part of the transformative work of Christ is saying, despite how I feel, Lord, I'm walking forward because I trust that you're making something beautiful out of me. He's making fishers of men out of all of us. What do you have to do? Try. I want to encourage you, all of you, that he is with you every step of the way. You are fishers of men. You just need to go fishing in faith. Amen. Listen to what Jesus says in John 4. He says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say. No, sorry. He doesn't say that yet. Do you not say. There are yet four months. Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Listen, some of you entered this work after it was established. Actually, most of you entered this work after it was established, including myself. Most of us are the fruit of someone else's labor. But what responsibility do we have now that we've been taken in? Go out and enter into the labor with those who have already been laboring. So that we all may rejoice in the fruit together. Listen, you want to know one of the men who evangelizes, in my opinion, just, he lives a lifestyle of evangelism. It's Chuck Strada. The dude doesn't necessarily even purposely just go out looking for that next soul. But you know what he is? He's ready at all times that at the first opportunity, man, it might not be the most powerful word from heaven. It might not be a lightning strike. But man, he's faithful to say yes. And he might look like a fool for it. They may accept his message. They may not. 
He's one of the most faithful men I know in evangelism. Listen, Jose. Jose was part of this family long before almost all of you were. If you don't know him, you need to get to know him. He's moving here. But listen, but listen. Chuck was here when the work was established. But what role does Jose now have coming here for the first time? He gets to enter into labor with Chuck and what Chuck's already been doing. Jose gets to reap the benefits of having walked into something already built, labor that's already been rewarded to eat the choice fruit the Lord's given. But what responsibilities does Jesus say he now has? To go out with his brothers and participate in the labor so that more would come. So that more would come. Mark 16, verse 15, he says to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. That's a big old world you got out there. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick people, and guess what? They will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoke to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out, preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that they accompanied uh, that accompanied it. They really actually believed in the word that Jesus just told them. How did they believe? They believed in their actions. And guess what? He accompanied them in their belief. How much more today is he doing the same thing in all of us? Yeah. These were 12 men. Now God has thousands of men. We have at least 50 to 60 men and women in this place, in this church, that are ready to go. I'm going to tell you one thing, and we're getting close to closing here. I didn't expect everybody to be fired up, and we're past that. You just know the good you ought to do. This message is telling you something today. You must evangelize. I don't care how you feel about it. You must evangelize because Jesus evangelized. And guess what? You're going to start to operate in that joy whenever you come back with a fresh soul. You're going to begin to get excited the day that you see God moving in your life. Because it is these fragile car jars of clay that he works in. And you're going to be amazed to see the marvelous work that he does. Because we're not mustering up it in our emotions. This is just about obedience. This is just about who we are. Some of you are feeling stale because y'all haven't done anything with the fire. We're not going to do a fire altar call. We do plenty of those. You know I like those. You know I do. I like them. But we're not going to because you already obtained the fire of the Lord. It's about what you're going to do with the fire. Something that was preached to us this week was Proverbs 1130. And it says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And whoever captures souls is wise. Whoever captures souls is wise. Do you want to be wise within the kingdom? Go win souls. Stop thinking about it. Stop doing the math. Stop thinking about how many people you have to event. Quit taking the, I don't know, I hope none of you do this. Quit taking the number of the population in Denton, doing the math, working it down. Okay, if 99% say no, where's the 1% I can find? Just go do it. Go win the souls. Go lay your hands on the sick and watch them healed. Have we not read Mark 16 the past five weeks every single week? It's because we expect it to happen. We want you guys to get on board with it's going to happen. We're raising our, we did it in prayer this morning. We're raising our expectation that we expect those things to happen when we walk into the room no matter where we're at. Go pray for the broken and watch them restored. Do you have broken family members? Start there. You could also just go on the square. But it's for everybody. Go pray for the directionless and watch the Lord give them a new purpose. Did he do it for you? He can do it for them. This is the call, saints. This is why you were supernaturally empowered with strength from on high. They need what you have. Go ahead and stand up with us this morning. we got one more scripture for you. And then we're going to release you 
like dogs. Like lions. Ghosts. Go sick them. That's bears. It's anything. It sounds cool. No, but seriously, who's ready to evangelize? Who's ready to be a light to the world? I surely am. I'm excited about implementing this word today. Jeremiah 20. Remember Jeremiah in verse 1? I'm too young. I'm scared. I'm afraid. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. And fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I can't not. This is Jeremiah's complaint, by the way. He's upset right now. This isn't a good thing to Jeremiah. People aren't receiving his messages. He's mad, and he's asking, Lord, why are you doing this to me? But he's also in the same breath saying, but I can't help but sharing, share your word anymore. This was a guy who was called in Jeremiah 1 saying, I'm too young. I'm afraid. How am I going to speak? And in Jeremiah 20, he's now saying, even in my complaints, Lord, I can't help but speak the word anymore. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. This is the type of attitude, and this is where this church has to grow. Where it's like, even if it's difficult, even if you get bad responses, I can't help but share the word. It's in the fiber of my being. It's in my bones. It's what I do. It's what I was made for. Jeremiah was once full of fear, and he thought he could not do it. And now, even in the most difficult of circumstances, when nations are rising against him, they're wanting to kill him. They're, they're doing all these crazy things to him. His complaint to the Lord is, Lord, why did you give me this fire in my bones? And why do you think God did? Because he was the man for the hour. You are the people of this hour that the church uh, God needs to advance his kingdom. Let it be today that we have a zeal for his house and for the loss that causes us to move in the way that Jeremiah moved with a fire shut up in his bones. Amen. Who's ready to evangelize? Yeah. Somebody say.